and welcome to the Ward's Auto Podcast. I'm your host, David Kiley. Well, the slowing of EV sales continues, and auto companies are having to slow investments they are making in electrification strategy because while their internal combustion engine business is making them the profits, and they are presently losing money on sales of EVs because of the huge front-end investments that have to be made in new factories and the battery supply chain, there is only so much in losses that they can absorb all at once because of the loss of shareholder value that results from that imbalance. The latest move is by Ford, which announced just before the Thanksgiving break that it is slowing the pace of investment in its Marshall, Michigan battery plant. The company said, and I quote, while we remain bullish on our long-term strategy for electric vehicles, we are retiming and resizing some investments. Continue the quote, as stated previously, we have been evaluating Blue Oval Battery Park, Michigan in Marshall, end quote. Now the company goes on to say, quote, we are pleased to confirm that we are moving ahead with the Marshall Project consistent with the Ford Plus plan for growth and value creation. However, we are right-sizing as we balance the investment, growth, and profitability. The facility will now create more than 1,700 good-paying American jobs to produce a planned capacity of approximately 20 gigawatts. That's down from the 2,500 jobs Ford originally announced, but still a pretty good size investment. The goalposts have not moved. As of now, the feds are going to require that 40% of new car sales be EVs by 2030, and that figure goes up to 66% of new vehicle sales by 2032. By 2040, we can expect pretty much that ICE vehicles will be phased out as far as new car sales go, unless policy changes. So the Marshall plant has had a difficult first phase of development. Because Ford has partnered with Chinese battery giant Contemporary Amperex Technology, also known as CATL, CATL dominates the global EV battery industry and has gained a substantial foothold in the U.S. market already. The battery plant was originally going to be located in the southeast, but the politics of having a Chinese partner in red states forced the project back to Michigan. And even now, there are still conservative forces in Michigan, and Marshall is a pretty red part of the state, battling against the plant despite the influx of jobs. Now let's turn to GM. The company said during its third quarter earnings that it is also abandoning its goal to build 400,000 electric vehicles from 2022 through mid-2024. GM CEO Mary Barra had reiterated that target in July, but that was before the UAW strikes began consuming some of GM's cash. The automaker estimates the strikes costed about $800 million, and the cost increased by $200 million for every week that that strike continued when she said that. Now, some surveys indicate also that consumers just aren't ready and have bigger priorities and concerns than buying an electric vehicle. According to one survey, 57% of the respondents said they were not likely to purchase either a fully electric or plug-in hybrid the next time they purchased a vehicle, and 11% said they didn't know. 
Now, that's 69% of people who are on the wrong side of the fence. That's a lot. Jim's Barrow recently said, quote, our commitment to an all EV future is as strong as ever. She said that to Wall Street analysts, but she added that the market is turning out to be what she says, a bit bumpy. As a result, GM is waiting several months to begin selling some of its new electric models, including a battery-powered Chevy Equinox sport utility vehicle. Now, that's a shame because a lot of consumers who are interested in EVs are waiting for crossovers and SUVs. So the industry will sell about 1 million EVs this year. That's nothing to sneeze at, even if it is below the pace that automakers would like to see. I recently discussed this in a previous episode. There is a lot of pain in a major transition like this. We ought not to think that these are indications that the EV revolution is not going to happen. It's just going to happen a little more slowly and on a bumpy path. It's not going to be a straight line on the graph. A lot of things happen. The economy changes, politics change. It's going to be a bumpy line. In fact, as with the politics I previously mentioned with the Ford CATL plant, there is another kind of old-fashioned politics around jobs and change at work as well. Now, the headwinds, the political headwinds on EVs are significant. We are entering a presidential election year, and they don't call it the silly season for no reason. Now, I'm not saying anything that you all don't know when I say that the rhetoric has become toxic around politics in general. And politicians more than ever say anything that polls well without concern for whether it's truthful or factual. So-called conservatives, for example, they bang on endlessly about the ills of EVs. Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio, for example, he claims that electric vehicles are destroying auto industry jobs and have, he's proposed rolling back all the policies designed to encourage people to buy battery-powered cars. Uh, look, Vance, he's pretty much of a one-trick pony in his political rhetoric. The fact is that the U.S. is part of a globally competitive economy. We can't just cling to internal combustion engines while the rest of the world is going electric. That puts our auto industry behind and behind the global competitiveness. Here's another headwind. Half of dealers are not keen to sell them. We did a previous episode where we talked about uh, dealer attitudes towards selling EVs and how much lower in profit they are. Plus, you got to take out urban dwellers who don't really have garages oftentimes. And so they're very reluctant to acquire an electric vehicle without a place to charge it at home. The bottom line, people don't like change. This is a perennial thing about human nature. Change scares a lot of people. And not surprisingly, politicians are pandering to people who do not like change and who can be persuaded that their job might be endangered by the change at hand. Now, when we come back from this message from our sponsor, American Axle, we will be joined by Michelle Krebs, the Senior Transportation Analyst at Cox Automotive, and she'll join us for a snapshot on EVs and where we are going. This podcast is brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. 
AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. And so I'm here with Michelle Krebs, executive analyst with Cox Automotive, who is here at our electrification conference. Thanks for joining us, Michelle. Thank you. Happy to be here. So the first question I have is, what is the snapshot right now of EV sales in terms of, you know, kind of the drone's eye view of where we are right now? Sure. Um, EVs are selling like crazy. Uh, I think the sales are up about 50% over last year, and last year was a big year. Uh, The issue is that production is outpacing sales. Uh, So we're seeing buildup of inventory. We're seeing incentives come come in with EVs, just like we do on regular cars, even more so. So what we say is the sales are going at a linear rate, but production's exponential bouncing around higher than that. Mm -hmm. So we're in a place where we have to sell EVs, not just take orders for EVs. So my drone's eye view is that we are in a period that I'll call a gray period because out of necessity, the companies, the OEs have had to ramp up production. They're introducing models. And to your point about kind of overproducing, because you can't just flip a switch. This is a ramp up, but the the public, the consuming public, a lot of them are either rejecting or are going to put it off as, as long as they possibly can, or they're they're enthusiasts, or they're positive, but are waiting for the infrastructure to mature over the next couple of years, and that's going to make production planning very muddy, don't you think? Very muddy. Production planning is going to be challenging and introductions of new models. Gee, where do I start with that? Yes. I mean, the first group of buyers, which are Tesla buyers, were tech adopters, and they just put in their order. We are now moving into more mainstream people like me who, you know, have a lot of questions about EVs and um, hesitation. One of the biggest hesitations is price. They're mm-hmm. still a premium priced. Um, that's That comes up number one on all of our surveys. Although increasingly the EV infrastructure is more of a challenge, especially with stories that you see about anecdotes you hear from people about driving up to uh, an EV charger and it doesn't work. I read it the other day, like 6,000 chargers at any given time don't work. So there aren't enough and there aren't enough that are working. So that has caused some hesitation. And I think there has to be, uh, as we talked about on this panel, an education process. I mean, I think everybody from media to dealers, everyone has to educate people on um, what EVs are and what they are not and what's available and how you use them, because it requires a totally different kind of behavior. See, I do, and you probably do too, with people we know, people we encounter, a fair amount of our own education. And one thing, of course, at Wards, we test EVs all the time. And um, I'm about to move into uh, a a new house, and I'm going to make sure that I put a wire in a level two charger, because as you know, if you don't have a level two, right, if you're just using a 110 thing, I mean, you could put that car on there for two days right. and still not get a full charge. So that's right. that's one thing. So, you know, it's that's the first part of the education. But 
But the other thing is when, when we're testing vehicles in southeast Michigan even, I've had to go 10 miles out of my way to, to put a charge on, on a car. And it's just, that's untenable for most people. Right. I mean, I remember driving one of the early Mustang Mach-E's and I had it all planned out. I was going to go to Ann Arbor. I found a charger and could get home from a concert. Well, I got to the charger. There were three cars parked there. They weren't all electric vehicles. So I was nervous on the way back. So we have to deal with the charging infrastructure. Yes, it starts with a home charger, but not everybody, only 40% of the people in the country have garages. Um, And so you have to figure out another way for like apartment dwellers. I mean, EVs make a lot of sense and are most popular in urban areas, especially on the coast. But we need to address if they're going to be more popular and go to mainstream buyers there, we have to figure out a way to um, get those charged. Yeah, I um, uh, one of the things uh, I'm starting to think is that we've got this mandate, right? So for 10 years from now, the mandate is we're going to be selling two-thirds of new vehicles are going to be EVs. But I think the line on the graph, even though you said, you know, the sales are going well now, the line on the graph is going to go, I think, is going to go straight up from about 2028 to uh, 2032 or three simply because it's going to take that long for this these infrastructure issues to really start to be solved and to be ubiquitous enough that buyers will feel comfortable. I'm not going to make any predictions about the, the direction. I mean, clearly we are going into that direction. I don't think it'll be linear. I think we're going to it's going to be a very very bumpy road. Um, but that is the ultimate direction. And I, and then we still have to address the affordability issue because most well, only the affluent can really even afford a new car, much less an EV these days. So that is going to be an issue through, for the next decade. That's a separate problem because I've long been fascinated, curious, et cetera, about what the average transaction price now is, you know, kind of bumping between forty-eight and 50000 I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. I When I was used to write about retail and, and more about customers and stuff, this information that people were taking – eight-year loans on cars. And I just thought, when when did that happen? (laughs) Well, and also now we're in a very different situation with interest rates. I mean, the average new car loan is 9.6%. You know, you and I came up where (laughs) interest rates were really, really low. So that's added a huge burden onto the monthly payment. Yeah, because I don't, I don't know. I haven't bought a new car in a while, but I'm not seeing the zero percent nope. rates from the automakers, captive finance companies anymore. No, we're not seeing a lot of that. Um, we're not seeing a lot of. Uh, well, incentives have gone up, but they're still way low compared to what we were used to in days mm-hmm. gone by. So, what's our last question for you, Michelle? Because Cox obviously handles a lot of data and analysis. Mm-hmm. What is like the most interesting? piece of data or insight that you've seen coming out of Cox that made you go, hmm? Well, I think this this year, I think the buildup of the EV inventory was one of the wow, okay. <laughs> um, that was one of the wow factors that we saw this year, mm-hmm. and uh, that continues to be the case. And the fact that incentives on EVs are so high. Yeah. So those are a couple of the pieces that are interesting to me. So I'm sorry, one last thing, which is one of the things that I've been um, thinking is that one of the things sort of even holding back demand a little bit is that we're only just now really seeing CUVs 
and SUVs uh, hit EVs hit the market. For example, I I went to the preview. You might have been there too for the Honda Prologue and the Acura ZDX. And when I saw these cars and the ranges, you know, three hundred plus. I thought, eh, this is really the first time I've seen a vehicle with this kind of footprint utility with that kind of range. And so it seems to me with more vehicles like that, it's it'll push up. Uh, I always said that from the start. I mean, yeah. Tesla came into the market and they came with cars. Hmm. And then, you know, we had the Chevy Bolt and we had the Nissan Leaf. They were cars when people bought. The two-thirds of the sales are SUVs. So, yes, uh, you know. And the Model X is now one of the best-selling vehicles in the world. Um, I think, you know, having the kind of body style that accommodates families mm-hmm. is really important to um, push EV sales. But it also has to be priced in that mainstream uh, range. Yeah. Michelle, thanks very much for joining us. And thanks for being a speaker at Electrification. Happy to be here. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. Thank you to Michelle Krebs. Her analysis is always very welcome to us. Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can subscribe to Ward's Auto Podcast on your favorite podcast platform, or you can play it right off our page at wardsauto.com. When you see a story supporting the podcast episode, just click on the episode link and play it right off your laptop, smartphone, or tablet. But I'll tell you, it'd be much better for us and easier for you. If you subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or one of your favorite platform is. I'm your host, David Kiley. Graham Mitchell is our engineer. And until next time, enjoy the ride.